Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist, and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field, along with contest winners and a few surprise guests. We're recording a series of interviews at year 2022 Writers and Illustrators of the Future Workshop Week. And today I am speaking to an author who wrote one of my favorite stories in there. I I mean, I can say that about almost everything because I love all the stories. They're all winners. But this one here is specific because I'm so involved with social media. So we're going to get into this pretty quick like here. But welcome ZT Bright. Yeah, thank you, John. I'm excited to to be here. I've been listening to the podcast for... Well, since since you started it. So. Wow, that's great. great. Yeah, so as I'm the one who um, handles all the writers of the future, um, social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, I've seen the good, the bad, the ugly. And so when I saw that and saw your description of the story and the inspiration, I went, oh, man, I got to read this. And I read it a couple times. So how did you get started, first of all, just as a writer? Yeah, yeah. Um... I, uh, I I'm not one of those writers that can say, oh, I started writing when I was, yeah, two years old, and I wrote my first novel at five. No, uh, <laughs> I don't know how true that is of most people, but they all seem to say it for yeah. some reason. Um, I was always a reader, and loved books, and just yeah, tore through books voraciously, um, always. And uh, and then you know, eventually, kind of in my twenties, I I got to a point where. You know, I couldn't read through a book without having my own ideas shoot off in other directions, and it was getting to the point where it was very distracting. And I thought, oh, maybe I, maybe I should do that. Um, and then actually, my my uncle uh, passed away unexpectedly, and uh, and I inherited his books. And in some of those books were, you know, how to write, you know, how to write novels, and some of that. And I thought, wow, this is something that he and I shared, a, a, maybe a desire to do this. Um, and he didn't get to do that. He didn't get to fulfill that that dream that he apparently had. And and I committed to it at that point. I said, you know, so I, it maybe is, is something that is for me, but also maybe I can kind of fulfill that for him as well. And haven't looked back since. That's, you know, maybe close to 10 years now that I've really been trying and dedicating myself to understanding the art of story t- storytelling and just writing in general. Well, wow, that's great. So you won the inaugural Mike Resnick Memorial Award. He was a beloved judge for the Writers of the Future contest. He was a great friend. Just, I'd call him because his schedule was he'd get up and usually around noon to two o'clock and then he'd be working till three, four o'clock in the morning. So I, I would call him like my time at 11 o'clock at night or so. He said, hey, John, because nobody called him then. He said, I did that because nobody calls you, so you aren't getting distracted. Mm-hmm. So, um, but he was always Mike's kids. He was always wanting to help. And once we connected up with him with the contest, he was already a major fan of Elwin Hubbard's writing mm-hmm. when we first connected up. Right. But then when he became a judge, he was such an instrumental contributing person. He was always there when, willing to lend a helping hand. And Mike's kids, he took on winners, mm-hmm. you know, and published them in, in Galaxy's Edge. Yeah. He tried to get me to, to buy the copyright first of Galaxy's Edge or the rights to that to be able to start. I said, I can't handle that. It's enough <laughs> just doing the contest. Right. <laughs> so uh, so he, he took it up with, um, as the editor of that and uh, did an awesome job with it. Mm-hmm. So um, what story did you win with the uh, 
Resnick Memorial Award. Yeah, uh, it's, it's called the the Measure of a Mother's Love. Um, it's about uh, a, a elderly Chinese woman who uh, has adopted basically a extraterrestrial um, that nobody else knows about, and uh, she had previously lost her human son and uh, formed a deep connection with the uh, the new son and and the stories about kind of their their journey together and um i think as with all of my stories it's a story about relationships set in a uh bigger uh you know world bending setting you know there's bigger bigger things going on and and they kind of by the end tie into each other so yeah that's uh it ended up winning um leslie robin there at uh at Galaxy's Edge now, one of mm. Mike's writer children. Yeah, um, I was lucky lucky enough to be one of the top five, and and then uh, yeah, it was passed on to five judges. Um, Jody and I won one of those, and uh, several other judges, and and was voted uh, voted the winner. So yeah, I was there when you were. I saw your name come up in oh, your yeah, story. Right. So that's that's that was great. I yeah, was there when she was doing the presentation, and so that was. Yeah, that was really, really good. Yeah, Leslie is uh, Leslie's great to work with. Um, Galaxy's Edge is is you know has always with Mike, but is putting out great stuff continually. Um, I'm actually uh, kind of helping Leslie as a little bit of a slush slush reader, and oh, good. Uh, uh, yeah, my volume is uh, I think November of 2021. So uh, yeah, if you so if you haven't gotten it, you, go, you can get them on Amazon. I know. Yeah, they're on Amazon. I I um, I, I believe that the um, previous stories, yeah, you would uh, previous issues. You'd go to Amazon yeah. and, and get those. But then, current volumes are uh, free to read online. So yeah, head over to galaxiesedge.com. Absolutely. Okay. Good. So there you go, Leslie. <laughs> <laughs> A little plug for Leslie. <laughs> yes. Yes. She was here last year. Yeah. Yeah. So on on your story now, I want to get into that, and then I'll circle back to other questions I've got. But I'm I already gave a little bit of a of a tease on mm-hmm. your story on the magic book of accidental city destruction, a book wizard's guide. Yeah. Now it's roughly about the impact of social media. Mm-hmm. So without 1000% giving away this story, I'm so interested in the theme of, and how it relates in your allegory yeah. to social media. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I didn't uh, set out necessarily to have it be allegory, but it was absolutely inspired by just the events of, I mean, especially COVID. And With what you see right years. now, is all of a sudden it's like, geez, you know, that the stuff that happens there and towards the end of your story when what's mm-hmm. happening, you take what's happening on planet Earth right now, yeah. what just was happening with in, uh, in Europe. Yeah. You know, how much is social media affecting and making people think that, one person is good versus one person bad. You see it all. You know, we've seen it for a while now on, poli- on political stuff yeah. where, you know, you don't, we don't even touch upon that because people are, it's such a lightning rod of, of mm-hmm. sparking hostile yeah. debate. Yeah. Now, I mean, the story is, is uh, it is about, again, kind of relationships on the character level. It's, you know, it's about these characters living in an environment and that's, you know, similar to ours in some ways, except, uh, you know, there's, you know, magic books and, and one of the magic books, the most powerful of them, um, you know, is able to provide information to anyone who, who reads it. And, uh, and the concept, yeah, being without giving uh, too much away. The concept is just that 
we are able to live in two or, or multiple separate realities, um, even next to each other, you know, whether it's COVID or whether it's, you know, the, the war in, in Russia and Ukraine, um, whether it's did Will Smith uh, slap Chris Rock or was it stage, you know, it's a, it's a whatever it may be, um, you know, we find ourselves in a time where just depending on the information that we are consuming, we can live in completely separate realities. And it's also what you have with social media, what you're fed to see as reality is what yes. you're searching. So you're totally made right about whatever your perception is of what's going on out there. It says, I'll feed you everything else that shows that your perception is correct. Right. And you right next to me have a different search pattern. So you're fed something that, which could be even diametrically opposed to what I'm seeing as being true. So now we're both absolutely certain on yeah. our righteousness and yes. and our perception of what's really happening. Exactly. Yeah. What we search, uh, who, who we are around, who we talk to, you know, the GPS locations of our devices next to each other, you know, is a big part, I think, of the algorithms. And uh, yeah, it, who, you know, it, everything that, uh, everything we do basically is uh, monitored by these companies that we, we give our lives to. Yeah. And in your... In your book, it's magic, and in real life, it's it's actually an algorithm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what sparked it? Because that was such a cool story. Is there something that happened to you that sparked that as a as a story idea? You know, I think I think it really was uh, COVID. You know, I can trace this back to you know talking about the concept actually with my you know my family. Uh, you know, probably March or April of. 2020, I guess it was. And, you know, being outside uh, with each other because nobody dared go inside with each other these days and uh, or those days. And and so we were outside and just talking about it and, and talking about the different perceptions of, uh, you know, certain people like you know, my parents and, and my family um, had a, you know, very direct thought process on what was happening. And then, you know, we had other friends and family uh, that just were acting completely differently. And uh, so it's just an interesting concept to me, that uh, sociological aspect of what we were going through. And uh, I chewed on that for a long time before I could process that into a, a story. And I knew I needed characters, you know, to have a, a personal story within that kind of setting. And uh, finally came to me and clicked. That's great. So the types of stories you like to tell, so they're they seem to be more character driven than any, so you build around character or you mm -hmm. you start off like with a a plot or a some type of a germ of an idea or is it you've got this person and then this is because this way he is now this is a story that this is his life as it builds around him yeah it, it can be uh, very different the setting idea can come to me first uh, the characters um you know, whatever it may be, but it is, uh, I, I always build the arc around the relationships between characters. Um, you know, that's just uh, the stories I like to read. I, you know, mm -hmm. I, I feel that uh, they're, you know, more heartwarming and more emotional that way. And, and that's a big thing that I try to, uh, to do with all my stories. And I, I was one of uh, Wolf Moon's uh, pupils. Uh, and that's one of the things that, you know, he taught that really, uh, clicked into place for me is, oh, you know, I'm, I'm writing interesting stories, maybe exciting stories, but uh, maybe not, you know, very emotional stories uh, that have that emotional punch. And so I started to 
inspect, you know, where, where are the things in my life that is, are causing me to be emotional? And it's always family and relationships. So that's what I try to bring into my stories. I get it. And speaking of family, get this. It's in his bio on the, on the bio page in the book coming out. So ZT Bright is an author in deep, like really deep, cover is a financial planner. He lives outside of Salt Lake City with his wife, who is far more talented creatively than he is. There are four perfect children, three ducks, two dogs, and one cat. So that's, that's amazing. So now it th- begs the most immediate question, how do you have time for writing? <laughs> I ask myself the same thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was actually really excited for this 24-hour story that I um, got to do here just because I had to have that much time, 24 hours without <laughs> any other responsibilities, but writings was just a dream. And uh, yeah, I, I wasn't too worried about it and got the story done, feel pretty good about it. So yeah, I, I, I don't know actually how I find the time. I definitely prioritize family and, you know, the, the day job is what pays the bills and supports the family. So that gets the attention. And uh, mostly, I mean, I, I fit writing in where I, where I can. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually what that looks like and, and writers of the future has been just instrumental in, in this ability to do this because it provides the structure of every quarter you have that deadline. So I would allow myself to ruminate on ideas and kind of build the story, put the pieces of the puzzle in place from a, a plot perspective and everything over the course of you know a month or two. And then Usually on weekends, when I get uh, you know a chunk of time, wake up in the morning early before people are awake, and get you know a good three or four hours in on Saturday, Sunday. Uh, sometimes if it's a holiday or a uh, you know just after work, sometimes if it didn't have anything happening, uh, which is rare because <laughs> got baseball and dance and soccer and yeah, house care, all that to take care of. But uh, yeah, just uh, whenever I could get a, a block, I, I can't really write with uh, just you know thirty minutes here, twenty minutes there as well. So I try to get in a good you know two to three hour block, but uh, squeeze it in when when you can. I get it. And what about novels? Is that something that's in your uh, horizon? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this all began with uh, you know aspirations of of being a novelist. Um, I read novels, uh, you know, didn't really read short stories um, growing up or even as an adult. You know, big influence of mine, Orson Scott Card, um, and, you know, lots of authors, but transitioning more recently, Brandon Sanderson is is one I probably follow the most closely and read everything he puts out, um, <laughs> which is a lot. <laughs> Did you sign up for the four books that he's... Oh, I signed up for the, the Kickstarter, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. My wife, Emily, was texting back and forth with his wife, Emily, oh, yeah. the morning they launched it, and they're back and forth on going over some stuff. And then it launched, and then it just went radio silent, and you could just see this going... As it was immediately yeah, started ratcheting up. Yeah. And then it's... then. Um, at one point, Emily had to turn her over to her uh, Brandon's sister, I guess, to, oh, to yeah. pick it up because the uh, our keynote speaker, Lieutenant General Thompson, who's going to be speaking mm-hmm. at, the, at the awards event this Friday night, loves Brandon. So we were arranging to get a, an autographed uh, book for him. So they were getting that finalized there. But it was funny. Just when it started hitting, they were back and forth, back and forth, and then phew, that was it. Yeah. No, I... Uh... I was I, I saw the announcement as I was working, and it was brand new. And it, I think they were at a, almost a million. And then I backed it, and then it was just 
from there. So that's you know, exciting. 41, 42. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. But Which yeah, the, is great though. The goal uh, yeah, with that in mind is, is yeah, definitely uh, novels eventually. Yeah. Um, I am currently uh, working on a, a middle grade novel, fantasy novel, uh, younger kids. And the concept. You got plenty of get the appropriate first readers in. Got the audience built in. Yeah, the thought process is similar with short stories. You know, I have time to write short stories with my busy life. Um, so going into a, a shorter, you know, middle grade length novel may be more manageable for me up front than, uh, you know, a Brandon Sanderson, you know, 400,000 page <laughs> epic <laughs> fantasy. Right. So, uh, or 400,000 words, I yeah. guess I should say. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's the goal now is uh, finish that up and and just keep that rolling. I'll I'll still be working on short stories here and there and get my name out and we'll hope to build on that. Absolutely. So now on, how many times did you enter the contest before winning? I, I purposely didn't count okay. <laughs> exactly, but so then uh, how many years have you been entering? Yeah, six or seven years, um, and probably somewhere in the range of. Uh, 14 to 15 entries okay. total. Yep. And my, my story is uh, maybe a little unique for, for winners, but I went, you know, kind of honorable mention, rejection, honorable mention, rejection, repeated that process uh, over and over and over. And then I won. So somehow, you know, clicked into place. I can uh, definitely credit uh, Moon, as we talked about, and, and uh, some writing partners, and the, uh, the Wolfpack writing group we've got going. And uh, yeah, I really just learned the value of, of course, getting help from someone who's above you, um, but also the help of peers and being able to help peers, and then even maybe you know helping people that might be below you on that uh, mm -hmm. on, on that path. Those three tiers, you know, working with those people, kind of learning, working with, and teaching—that's I, I think I believe where uh, expertise comes from. Absolutely. So you came here, and then on. Saturday night, we had our meet and greet, right? Yes. Okay, Saturday night, we had our meet and greet, and that's where you met um, both Jody and Tim and then the other fellow winners. So from that point forward, give me a detailed breakdown, moment by moment, of what it's been like. <laughs> no, not. But what's it been like being here um, yeah. and at the workshop? It's been, it's been great. Um, you know, it's very... Nervous and anxious coming in. Yeah. Um, you know, I haven't been to anything like this before, not a writer's conference or anything. No time for it. <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I came in, you know, nervous to meet new people and, and everything and, and get to work. But um, from, yeah, from the start, it's been great. Tim and, and Jody are excellent. And um, I knew um, I, I knew some people here um, uh, a little bit just from online, you know, mm -hmm. writer's group stuff, uh, Becky. Uh, Rebecca Treasure and Leah Ning, uh, part of the the writers group we have a little bit. So I've talked with them online, but uh, didn't really know anyone else uh, beyond you know Facebook, social media connections. Uh, but yeah, we kind of fell right in. Uh, talked with the winners of my quarter, uh, Des Desmond Stair and and Michael Panter, and we kind of fell in and just kicked, uh, hit it off. And it's been great chatting with them, and and then. Yeah, just you know, I was saying it, it's it's work, and then go eat and socialize, and then come back to work, and then go eat and socialize, and then come back to work, and then go eat and socialize. And it's uh, it's been great to talk to people who, you know, share the same 
passions as you and have the same interests and read the same things. And uh, yeah, I can't say I really had that experience on, you know, this side of, of my interests before. I've talked yeah. to people about sports and, you know, and work. And of course, my family and I have interests that, that we connect on. But in terms of writing, you know, this is a, a new experience for me. It's been tremendous. That's great. Any part of it that stands out for you as the best so far, the one you're like, wow, any wow moments? You know, I, I think that, uh, I, you know, I think that just the, the belief that comes from, from all of this, you know, hearing Tim and, and Jody talk about the realities of, of the publishing world and, and just talk as a, you know, matter of factly of, you know, this is possible, right? People can be authors and make a living from it. And I think as a, you know, a new writer, especially, um, you know, in, in your little cave, typing away at your your keyboard, it starts to feel like, you know, a, a pipe dream that it's never, you know, never going to happen sometimes. So um, just that sense of uh, confidence and belief that is, is building is, has been excellent. That's great. And then now Tim and Jody are... Um, for the most part, they're totally in alignment on their perception of things on writing, but sometimes it, it's, it becomes like this way, and then all of a sudden the other one comes up 90 degrees different. Yeah. What's that like? Oh, it's fun to watch, first of all. Uh, <laughs> we had a, a little disagreement about uh, panels yesterday in cons, and um, whether it was appropriate to kind of market your book while you're up there quickly and say, they both agreed that you should not have your book in front of you, yeah, right in front of your face on the table, and um, but they they disagreed on whether it was appropriate to quickly mention your book, show it, and say you can get it here, and then move on. Or as Tim was saying, you know, don't even mention it. You know, that's vulgar, and uh, and they had a good probably twenty minute discussion about the back and forth of why they believe that. But um, you know, I think it's great because one of the things I believe about probably anything, but this specifically is, you know, is, is guidelines, right? You, you can take all of the information that people can give you and you use those as guidelines. You know the rules so that you know which ones to break and when to break them and when it's appropriate to. Um, and so, yeah, I learned from a lot of people. Uh, Dave Farland, huge influence of mine over the years. Uh, and yeah, very sad. I, they, yeah. I didn't get to meet him. I, I took his workshops and you know read everything about that he put on his website. I was so excited to to get to meet him, and and I'm honored uh, that actually it's you know probably one of the last uh, stories he he worked on. He worked on, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, whether it's it's Dave or you know Wolf Moon, as I mentioned, or uh, you know Brandon Sanderson writing Excuses podcast, you know I've consumed so much, but uh, it gives you the information that you need to know, and then you make your own decision on what works for you and what doesn't. Some people are going to tell you to write, you know, 30 minutes every single day. But my opinion is if, it, if that doesn't work for you, find what does. Exactly. And you're going to get that even more so as the other judges come. Mm -hmm. Someone who writes hard science fiction is going to have a different perspective than someone who writes epic fantasy versus urban fantasy versus, um, you know, all the different subgenres that you're going to have. And... They have different things, and you've got somebody like Kevin Anderson or Dean Wesley Smith who are high-production writers, and then you've got someone like Tim Powers who will take a year or more to perfect a novel and then release it. Mm -hmm. You're going to say that one is better or worse than the other is 
isn't the point. That's not what it is. It's, it's like what works for you on your style or, or establishing, developing a style. Yep. So are you someone that's, that's gone to panels and gone to workshops and gone to conventions? Um, a, a little bit. So we've got Fanex in mm -hmm. my backyard um, in Salt Lake. So yeah. I've been to that. I've, I've been wanting to go to LTUE. Yeah, Life Universe and everything, yeah. which it's uh, it can almost be seen, observed to be a Riders of the Future retreat. There's so many That's great. winners in Riders of the Future, and even the organizers of it are themselves Riders of the Future entrants or supporters since day one, you know, yeah. having been good friends with our, you know, several of our judges from Utah. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So, I've, you know, the both in my backyard, basically, so... Yeah, I have been to some, and I've been, I've seen, you know, Dave Farland, for example, at Panex, and uh, listened to some things. But mostly it's online, you know, uh -huh. uh, taking courses online, watching videos, listening to podcasts. So how did you find out originally about uh, Writers of the Future? So I, I think uh, if I trace my path to Writers of the Future, it was uh, through the Writing Excuses podcast years and years ago, and then they had Dave on the the podcast at one point, and they they talked about Dave a lot, and so I just went uh, to to Dave's information and and found out more, and of course found out he was the coordinating judge, and, uh, and that was that. I entered, uh, been entering ever since. That's great. So on the stories, there's been various. I mean, some writers, some established writers say you know, be willing to throw away the first half million to million words until you establish your own voice. Mm -hmm. So how much? Were you doing writing and getting something, and then this is never leaving my drawer? It's just for <laughs> it becomes paperweights down the road, but it's never going to be submitted. How many how many stories or how many things did you have to go through before you felt comfortable enough to submit? You know, I um, I might be different in this regard, but I submit I submitted the first thing that I really felt like I had completed. Um, you know, I knew from you know the time I decided to start writing that uh, yeah, I was going to do it for a reason and it was to, you know, go try to get published and, and uh, make something out of it. And so I started writing I you know, was learning uh, as much as I could. And I spent, I probably spent a lot of time, probably more time than I should have just kind of studying the mm -hmm. art of storytelling and writing stories. Uh, but then when I felt like I had a base under me to, uh, to get going, I, I wrote and I submitted and, and it was terrible. Uh, but and that's actually a good point you bring up because some people, you are a better example than the others that will, won't submit and they just wait and they just know I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. You know, who are they to decide that they aren't good enough? Mm -hmm. And then the more you think that you're not good enough, the easier it is to convince yourself that you aren't good enough. Mm -hmm. So it's better. And especially what's really easy with writers of the future, it's anonymous. So the judges judging have no idea yeah. that this is ZT Bright, or even that ZT Bright isn't still isn't the real name, right? You know, so <laughs> you've got the various levels of, of filters to go through, but you'll never be able to know if you're good enough until you submit and find out. Yeah, yeah, that, that's very true, and uh, it was very evident from all of the rejections that I piled up at magazines and everything that I was not. But my first submission to Writers of the Future was an honorable mention. And uh, yeah. was your first story? Yeah, it was. It was not my first story. It was my second story. But uh, that, that's when I found out about the contest. And uh, yeah, honorable mention. And, and that, you know, I know uh, you've talked about it before with with guests on the podcast. But uh, truly, is has to be one of the reasons that I'm I'm still going in here because I had a, that little bit of validation and 
Uh, and you need that as mm-hmm. an artist. Um, and that's just having that little bit was was super helpful. And I've talked to people here about that. You know, the the concept of should I spend all my time on novels now that I've I've you know reached this peak uh, and and try to move forward or do I uh, do I keep writing short stories? And the, one one of the benefits of, of short stories is is that you know validation and maybe a quicker time frame. Um, and yeah, writers, yeah, you know, that's currency to us. That's our that's our our food. We need to mm-hmm. consume validation in order to keep going. So uh, yeah, I don't know the answer to that one, but yeah, well, it's interesting because Kevin Anderson, he said is is, I mean, he's one of the most successful writers out there, the best paid writers out there in science fiction. And he also will say, I'm the most rejected. You know, You're right. he used to have just this huge urn of just all the rejection slips he'd saved. And he, had, he said it was over 700, 750 or so. It's just, yeah. you can't have a thin skin or just shop one story and like, okay, here's my story. And then if it gets, and yep. it's not even because it's a bad story that sometimes it's rejected. Right. It could be because they just bought a story like that in the last issue or already for this current issue. So mm-hmm. saying, yeah, he gets kicked back just from that. Yeah, that's yeah, very very true, and and that's something that uh, you know I've been lucky enough to uh, to just in uh, inhabit in in my process. I uh, I don't stick to the same story very long. I I get it done and make it the most the best that I can, and and then I move on to something new, something fresh, and and I let the other one just go where it needs to go. Great. Now, when you do your story that you submit. Do you go through the process of looking to make sure you you understand the market you're writing for? Yes. Yeah. Because um, I haven't talked about that a whole a whole lot. So that, but it's important that people understand. You can have a great story, but if, it's, if you send it to the wrong market, it's going to be rejected. Not because it's a bad story, but because that's not what we publish. Yeah. So talk about that a bit, please. Yeah. Um, so it's it's very important. Um, and and I've made them I've made the mistake of of sending stories that probably weren't the best fit to certain markets. But I also try to be very pragmatic about what I'm doing. You know, I, I wrote the uh, I wrote the story for uh, the Resnick Award specifically because it was a science fiction calling. Um, I I think I typically lean a little more fantasy uh, in most cases, but occasionally I'll write for something specific that's for science fiction, and that's uh, that's important. I've I've written some uh, more maybe children or child-oriented stories that are probably just a little too young for uh and you know most markets out there and, and writers of the future too and you know get those back as a as a rejection i'm thinking okay i think this is a pretty good story but what you know why and this is probably because it was just what, not the right market so right uh, very much uh you know for this market it's kind of that pg-13 range and and uh by the way, the, the Writers of the Future Forum is, is great for kind of learning some of those things, right? You could be writing great stories and submitting to the contest forever and not getting anywhere just because you weren't the right, you weren't targeting the right market. So if you wanna if you wanna have success, if you wanna have that validation that I talked about, you've got to target that market correctly, or mm-hmm. you'll you'll never get it, even if you're writing great things. Exactly. That's something that people you know, you really do have to understand that it's if you don't write to market, and it's also you make sure you look at the rules. You know, read the rules. Just because it's a short story competition mm-hmm. doesn't mean like okay, I'm gonna send in a short story. Yeah. You know, that there, there are rules to follow on submitting the story that you have to follow. Otherwise, it just it'll never make it out of the starting gate for you. 
if you know if it if it exceeds seventeen thousand words, if you submit a story that's seventeen thousand words out of a four hundred thousand word novel, none of that stuff is going to work. Right. Yeah, and and of course, important for the contest, or you'll just get that auto rejection, and you'll never understand why. Yeah. But you know, also with just professional markets, if you're constantly sending them things that are against the guidelines, you might develop a little bit of a reputation for yourself. You might make the blacklist. So I don't really know how that works uh, in the uh, inner workings of these magazines, but I've always tried to be conscious of that. You know, I, I'm attaching my name to something for these markets. Um, I want it to have a, a you know, good reputation. Mm-hmm. So now on, on um, what you're planning for your future as a writer. So you've got a full-time day job, which satisfactorily pays the bills. Mm-hmm. And now you're, I mean, short stories isn't something you're going to, you're going to say, okay, I'm going to quit my day job now. I've been published now in a short story. So right, right. I'm going to take my eight cents a word I just got and <laughs> go out and I'll fill my car up with gas. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Especially these days. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's very, uh, very true. Even at the top markets, you know, you, you'd have to sell an insane amount of, of stories to be able to make some sort of living off of that. Um, so yeah, the goal is is definitely to transition to novels. Um, my I, I try to be, as I said, pragmatic about uh, my my process. So uh, if I have a ten year plan now of you know, continuing to uh, to work in the day job and get as much done and, and sold as I can, and uh, hopefully be able to bring in over the course of the next ten years enough money and uh, you know have some success with novels. That uh, you know, maybe at that point I can yeah think about an early retirement into a full time career of uh, of writing. So you get your your pipe and yeah. your, your flavored <laughs> tobacco there and your slippers and yeah, I'm retiring to write to exactly, write <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I work in personal finance, uh, so I very uh, a very thorough understanding of uh, financial planning and, and retirement. So uh, it's one of the benefits of. Of your job, uh, my day job. So yeah, I can uh, hopefully build that out. And uh, you know, the company I work for now has been offering you know voluntary buyouts for people with certain amounts of years of time, uh, where they give a good handful of uh, years of income uh, for or months of income at least for certain people that meet the criteria. So you know, I'm just targeting that as a vague possibility. And uh, of course, the first step is just you know have success writing. Sure. So got to put the uh, the butt in the seat and fingers on the keyboard and start typing. So um, that makes sense. Now on your writing, so your own particular regimen for writing, do you have a separate room you go to that you're able to like drop the cone of silence and just go for it? Or how, how does that work? Yeah, ideally. Um, since COVID, I've been working from home. So I have a setup with a, a desk and computer screens and everything that's separated. Uh, so ideally, I'll go in and I will I close the door and, and I'll turn on some ambiance music to set the mood and uh, get going and, and try to get in that zone. And then, like I said, I kind of work best when I'm uh, when I've got a few hours to to go uh, rather than chipping away here and there for ten to twenty minutes. Um, but I think it's important, uh, and I don't know if this maybe gets talked about enough in the publishing world, but it's important to be flexible. It's important to, like I said earlier, kind of find what works for you and fit it in. If I tried to follow the advice that some people give with my schedule and my life and my family, 
I wouldn't be a writer. I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't have any sort of success. So find what works for you. Um, you don't put too much pressure on yourself. Don't kick yourself because you're not doing it the way that X, Y, and Z does it. Uh, do what you can and just keep going. That's great advice. And then on listening to others, because you mentioned a little bit about, you know, peers within the, the forum and the, um, in the Wolf Moon and his group working mm -hmm. with you. So what's your recommendation on how much to hold your own perspective and not, you know, not change it? Look, I really want to do this. And someone tries to say, no, you should do that instead. How, a little bit about that, please. Yeah, there is a, there's a balancing act there. Um, I think you need to assess where the feedback is coming from, you know, who it's coming from. And uh, is that person above you on that path, uh, ahead of you on that path, uh, then there's maybe a better chance that it's going to be val valid feedback. At the same time, you know, you, you need to stay true to yourself and, and your story. Um, but I think that uh, for me, it's, it's come down to, if I have a handful of people look at my story and I'm getting similar feedback in certain spots, uh, that's where I, I realize, okay, I can make a little, a little tweak there. Um, and usually it's, it's nothing tremendous, but if they tell you where this isn't working for me, I was confused here. Uh, you know, I don't, the sentence was a little bit confusing for me. Uh, you know, those things are pretty, pretty easy to fix, you know, in post. Right. So now on, on writers, the future itself, cause we've got, obviously there's the contest, which was the initial thing. Then we've got the blog, we've got the forum, we've got the, uh, the free online writing workshop, and then we've got the podcast. So um, did you take the online writing course? I did, yeah, right after it came out. Uh, super helpful. And a lot of that stuff is, you know, what we're going through here now. So if, yeah, if you're listening to this podcast, go, you go do that because you're going to get some really valuable help. That's great. Now, a little bit ago, I sent you a copy of the book, Fear. Were you able mm -hmm. to, to read that? I did, yeah. So... Let's talk a little about that because one thing I also was I enjoy other people's perspectives on uh, Orrin Hubbard as a fiction author, mm -hmm. and um, unfortunately, some people don't haven't read his fiction to know like oh, I had no idea, and yeah. and sometimes when we've, I've seen reviews, oh that's just like mm. Blah's story, and they haven't looked at the fact that Blah's story was written forty <laughs> years after he wrote this story that we just read, right? You know? Yeah, no, it's easy to forget. Um, I think just because of time, uh, you know, how big he was, how prolific he was. Uh, and yeah, a lot of, you know, we, we stand on the shoulders of giants, right, in this field. So mm -hmm. the Asimovs of the world and the Heinleins and, and uh, Hubbard, you know, he of course was one of those main influences for the uh, industry itself. And so, yeah, we, we kind of build off of, I, my belief is that, you know, creativity is built off of other creativity. And so nobody comes with this one original idea and it, you know, sparks something. It's all built off of something that they once thought or heard or read or saw, and they build their own little tweak on it and it builds from there. So yeah, if, if you trace the, uh, the golden age back to some of those few writers, uh, just as you said, yes, yeah, you know, some of these stories that we're seeing now are probably inspired by some of those stories that some of those bigger, earlier authors wrote. 
Yeah, like there's the one scene in in the first Star Wars movie, the bar scene, where yeah. where Han Solo was hired by Luke, and there's all the musicians playing there, and that dialogue is almost word for word uh, from Seven Steps to the Arbiter or the Kingslayer, which is one of the Hubbard's uh, science fiction stories wow. in the '40s. Yeah, I didn't realize you know? that. That's great. So it was interesting when I first saw him. Wait a minute, you know? Yeah. But he says, look, I got, I got a lot of what I do from the Pulp Fiction. You know, that's what inspired it. Mm-hmm. And um, so now with, with fear, I know, because one of the essays that you go over is called Suspense. Yeah. And that's one thing that fear is really good with is the expository of what he's talking about in that, uh, you know, that one quality of a story that, you know, when you get back from your editor saying it lacks suspense, what does that mean? You know? <laughs> yeah. So how did that essay, you know, how did that mm-hmm. come across to you then and, and its impact to how you write? Because your, your story definitely had this suspense that made you want to go through and say, okay, now what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Is this book all of a sudden, everybody's got this book now, but everybody's, it tells them something different each way. Like, wow, what, you know, so then yeah. made it more and more clear what you were talking about there. Yeah, no, I, I think that um, that's always been one of the articles that I've read through the the contest and mm-hmm. everything that has stuck with me. And yeah, fear does a, a great job of that, just building that over over time and, and getting a little bit worse. You know, I think that's a really key aspect to a story. Um, is you, you've, it's got to get worse throughout, right? And so a problem arises, they try to fix it, they don't fix it. And not only did they not fix it, but it got worse, right? And it's got to continue to get worse. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's uh, something I think what, what, no matter what story you're trying to tell, whether it's a, a romance or an adventure story or something more uh, dark like fear, um, you, yeah, you have to pull the reader along. You have to create some sense of suspense that makes them want to know what's going to happen. I think the suspense comes from that um, believable sense that they may not get what they want. And this is going to be, you know, really hard for them to get what they want. And if they don't, if the reader doesn't feel that, they're likely not going to keep reading. So right. there's a lot of ways to create that, but I think that's the, the core concept. Got it. Any other essays for you that were like stand out that like really made a difference for you and what you were how you were approaching your writing? Um, I think the manuscript factory. Uh, that's, yeah, classic. It, yeah, just the, the concept of you've got to do it. You've got to work. Uh, it's not always easy. I mean, I'll be the first one to tell you that when life is piling on you and family responsibilities and lots of work and maybe you're not feeling emotionally up to it sometimes. Uh, but you're not going to have success unless you produce. Uh, it's one of the things that I really try to remember myself is that you have to balance um, consumption with production. And these days, uh, it's it's easy to overconsume, right? But, you know, uh, smartphones and social media and YouTube and everything, you, you know, you can overconsume. You consume, can consume all day long uh, without not even realizing. Scratch. Yeah, yeah. Not even realizing you're doing it, not even making a dent in what's out there. Um, so, yeah, I try to, to remind myself of that got to produce. And, you know, I think there's an emotional and psychological benefit of that too. We feel better 
as people, you know, mm -hmm. when we produce something, when we create something. So I, uh, I, I do as much as I can just to make sure I'm, you know, feeling my best. That's great. On the whole workshop week, so what were you most looking forward to when you found out you won? Okay, good. I've, you know, immediately this whole checklist and opened up when you, that key turn when you got the phone mm -hmm. call from Joni saying, yeah. you're coming to Hollywood. Well, I think, yeah, first and foremost, the call from Joni was uh, something that I had just imagined in my mind for <laughs> for many years. And uh, and so, I, yeah, he, getting that call and seeing this call coming from Los Angeles uh, <laughs> on the phone, I um, and I knew it was about that time, you know, to start receiving calls. And so I picked it up and and uh, heard her say it was Joni, and and I said hi, uh, hi, Joni. Uh, I didn't, I kind of knew what to expect, but it was just a surreal moment for me. Um, and then, of course, the second call, which was also surreal. Um, I mentioned Becky, uh, who's here. Uh, Rebecca Treasure. She, she's a finalist three times last year alone, and we, I think, in our writers group, we kind of view Becky as uh, the one ahead of us on the path. And and so I knew that uh, she, you know, had been a finalist so many times, and to uh, to get to know, and, and she hadn't responded to any questions about what she got in the contest at that point. So I, we had a good feeling that we were both finalists. Um, so to uh, you had to get that call to say, from Joni to say, I, I won, I won second place in Q4, uh, was just, yeah, a little bit uh, a little bit surreal knowing how many times certain people have gotten finalists and just never cracked it. And here I am as, you know, someone who's only got an honorable mention. And I, my first time as a finalist, I, I crack it. And that's just luck, you know. I think that... Well, I think it's not luck. I well, think it's <laughs> it it, something to do with quality of storytelling. Right, yeah. Not, not to diminish my uh, uh, achievement, but uh, I think once you once you hit finalist, you know, that is a little bit of a, a coin flip for, with the judges just on what connects best for them not, or not. Uh, Dave, of course, had found all of the, you know, the, the cream of the crop that he thought were capable of being winners. And from there, it's just, yeah, judges' taste and which judges you get, right? I know this, uh, you know, there's a lot of stories of certain judges in the contest years ago that just would not consider a fantasy story if they came across it, and it's not their taste. So a little bit of uh, just a coin flip on that side of things. But my, my thought process had always been, if I make finalist, I have won. I have achieved something for myself. So yeah, getting that, uh, that win on the first, on the first try was uh, something special. Absolutely. Yeah, on that point, even Larry, who's, who doesn't like fantasy, Larry Niven, he's one of those judges yeah. you're talking about there. Yeah. But he even talked about, because I've had him on my podcast, and mm -hmm. he's even talked about, I don't like fantasy, but this was a pretty good story. You know? <laughs> so he'd even went over, and then Dave Farley says, I, I hate werewolf stories. Right. And then... Um, that one year we had three of them coming in that were in the finalist or in that top category. Mm -hmm. like, oh no! So he picked one, <laughs> um, which yep. is great. It was an awesome story, right? You know, yeah. so good story is is a good story. A good story. You got characters who are doing things, and and you're happy to see what happens to them at the end. You know, or, or find out what happens to them at the end. Uh, you know, hopefully you've paid that off and there's some emotional impact no matter what the the genre is right but, yeah so on um as a winner now 
So your next step, we've kind of like talked around it, but your next step is going to be what? Yeah, I, I think uh, I will continue to to write short stories, um, hopefully quarterly, um, maybe a couple times a, a year. But then I will be spending a lot of time on uh, the middle grade fantasy novel I'm, I'm working on there right now. I'm, I'm going through the kids with that, reading it as I go. And uh, yeah, the dream I think would be to scale up from there. So to have uh, in a similar way to say Harry Potter, right? Where, uh, you know, the books age with the audience and they be, get bigger and bigger over time uh, to the point where I can have a, you know, maybe a middle grade trilogy evolve into a young adult uh, trilogy into an ad- adult trilogy uh, and build from there. And I've had dream of, uh, of, you know, collaborating with whether it's, you know, other authors or whether it's just in a set in a universe like the Marvel universe or Star Wars or, uh, you know, Brandon Sanderson, right? I know he's collaborating with authors. Uh, so, you know, future goals to, to kind of collaborate with other successful authors. Right. Are you familiar with any of the other, um, I'm going in a direction here on this. Mm-hmm. Have you, are you familiar with any of the other um, fiction works of Elrond Hubbard besides Fear That I Sent to You? Um, I'm familiar. I haven't read okay. much. Yeah, because yeah, it's just, he wrote with 15 different pen names right. because of, he was so productive. That was obviously short fiction back then, mm-hmm. finding enough magazines to sell to. So sometimes he'd sell two or three stories with different pen names to the same magazine, same issue. Mm-hmm. But he also wrote all the different genres. So you've got fantasy and science fiction. Are you, like Elizabeth Ween, won a contest back in volume nine, the same year as Sean Williams and Eric Flint, mm-hmm. but then moved over to um, historical fiction. Mm. And yeah. she had a number one New York Times bestseller with her story um, about six or seven years ago. But it was Mm-hmm. Not science fiction or fantasy. So yeah. do you see yourself moving around in other genres? I, I could see myself moving around, yeah. I um, I enjoy writing science fiction and fantasy and reading science fiction and fantasy. I read uh, you know, more of the modern fantasy type of, of thing as well. Um, I read a lot of, of history. Um, I wouldn't say I've read a lot of historical fiction, but I read a lot of history and love learning about history, so I could very much see myself going that direction as well. I've had some story ideas that are just purely what you might call literary, you know, with no genre element. So, um, yeah, I could see myself moving in, in other directions, even nonfiction potentially. But uh, my my uh, first love is, yeah, science fiction and fantasy. We can maybe even start a new subgenre, the science fiction finance. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes, sounds exciting, doesn't it? <laughs> so... Um, we only got a few minutes left here. So now on um, advice or tips for aspiring writers, you know, so you've now jumped from the lead. Well, you, you basically did it when you also got the Mike Resnick Memorial Award, but mm-hmm. then when you, the announcement of, of being a winner for Writers of the Future, the judges now t- treat you or consider you on par with them as a professional now. And that's why it's, there's no other workshop like what this is, is mm-hmm. because other workshops, you've got the people that are trying to make the grade of a writer's of the future to make that professional sale. Mm-hmm. So um, everybody here is, it's a bit of a different perspective that the judges yeah. will come to you with. So I'm asking you this now as 
a winner being treated as a professional writer now. What advice do you have for the aspiring writer, which would also be able to apply to the aspiring artist too, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, who's trying to make that grade on what to do? Yeah, um, I think the first thing I would say is the value of persistence. Um, I know uh, something Moon would say, and I can't remember the exact terminology he used, but uh, the way I would say it is your moments of, of greatest achievement are uh, directly proceeding your moments of uh, deepest hardship, right? It's going to get hard. It's, you're going to get down on yourself. You're, you're, going to, you're going to question your ability, um, but you just keep going. And I think there's a lot of examples of that throughout history and in this mm -hmm. field specifically. But uh, you just you keep doing it because you like to do it because it gives you, as I said earlier, the the emotional fulfillment right. of creating something. And if you are doing this, if you're writing or if you're an illustrator, whatever sort of art you're doing, you're probably doing it because you love it. You're probably not doing it because someone told you to do it or you know your your parents want you to do it or some other thing you're you're doing it because you enjoy it and you get value out of it so whenever you're questioning yourself remember that fall back on that and just keep going persist that's that's pretty much um reinforces what's been said mm -hmm. 174 times so yeah. far <laughs> on the podcast right yep but it's just you know and I still get it where people say, well, I don't know. I just, I just couldn't handle the rejection. I can't handle the failure. Mm -hmm. it's, just, it's just part of the package. Yeah, you just understand that. You understand that it's part of it. Try to take that emotional edge off of it by just understanding it's about expectations. If you expect that that's going to be part of it, and even the best have to deal with that, um, you know, maybe at that point it becomes an ego thing, right? Are you that much better than the best that you deserve to not have to handle rejection. So yeah, keep going, find what works for you. Kind of like we talked about earlier, don't put too much pressure on yourself to do it a certain way, but do it your way and keep doing it. That's good. And if you want to live the life as a writer who just has your immediate friends and family saying, wow, you're awesome. This is great. You should this, you should that. Fine. Yeah, more power to you. Yeah. Don't expect to make it any further than that. Right. If that's if <laughs> if your ego can't handle someone else saying, "What's this?" Yep. Yeah, I, I talked to my uh, my son and and my daughter, my oldest two, um, who are uh, big into competitive dance and, and baseball right now, and uh, we talk a lot about just always get better, and that's just what that's the aspect you should have or the the perspective you should have going through life is. Always get better. And if you are getting rejections in writing, um, it's just your opportunity to learn more and get better and improve. That's right. And Writers of the Future, we've got all these tools to help you. The forum, you got so many people that are willing to work with you and just uh, share their successes. But one thing we have in the forum, too, is there's no shaming, no mm -hmm. um, any type of make-wrong that's allowed in there. Because if somebody does it, they're given a warning, they do it again, they're out of there. They're actually banned from the forum. Yeah. You know, and obviously the Writers of the Future online workshop was written, created rather, to provide that ground level instruction. It's it touches on what you get at the workshop, but what you get at the mm -hmm. workshop is that 
times a hundred X. Yeah. You know, much deeper. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's that the, these are the basic points that yeah. in this number of times over the material will give you a little bit more certainty on it. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Well, anyway, so for somebody to, to find about uh, your other stories and, and to check you out if they want to be able to follow your career, mm-hmm. where do they go? I think the easiest is uh, just my website, ztbright.com. So. It's bright as in the sun. Yep. Letters Z, the letter T, and then, yeah, bright, B-R-I-G-H-T.com. That's great. Well, I very much appreciate you taking some time here on this, on this yeah. podcast. Thanks, and, John. This has been great. And it's also just awesome that you won and that you're here at the workshop. I, I agree. It's yeah. been excellent. And yeah, thanks for the, the podcast, of course, but everything here throughout the week has been excellent. It's good. Here we are in the, in the heart of Hollywood here at the Roosevelt, the famous Roosevelt Hotel, right up here on the 11th floor right now. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Writers of the Future podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeart, and Spotify. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network, where you can find these podcasts as well. The Writers of the Future series can be purchased wherever books are sold in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, and South Africa, and available everywhere else on Amazon. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by L. Ron Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to new and amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.